Badger. I'm Andrea, and this is Two Vets Upstate. Today, we have a special episode of the podcast, Pre-Election. We will be talking to Antonio Delgado, the Democratic candidate for the U.S. House of Representatives in New York's 19th Congressional District. So what's going on around New York? Well, we should note that we're both in upstate New York at the same time. Roger is in Syracuse, and I'm at home in Niverville, and the bills are still terrible. That's true. It is very true. Just uh, today in vet stuff, um, I this is this was a peak Andrea Goldstein moment. I went to go drop off my Rent the Runway package and finally found representatives from American Legion Post number 47 in uh in which is based in Niverville, New York, sitting outside of Mario's Hardware in Kinderhook. Um, I've been looking for them for a while, and I'm glad I finally found them. So I'll be joining the American Legion Post near me. Um, and then also this morning, I've been fairly transparent, um, you know, both on this podcast and on Twitter, that I left the military with fairly severe arthritis, and my medication costs up to a thousand dollars a month, for which I pay nothing because I am a VA user. Um, and arthritis hit me hard this morning and, um, I was really, uh, reminded of how grateful I am, um, to have that healthcare. Roger, what, what else should we be thinking about? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've heard, but there's an election coming up, uh, and it's Tuesday, uh, which is just a couple days away. So we need you to vote. We need you, if you're listening to this podcast, to take ownership of our democracy. Once you figured out your plan to vote, which should be what you do right after listening to this special episode, if you haven't done it already, we need you to talk with all of your friends, your family, everyone on your block or your neighborhood, and help them stick to their plan to vote too. And if they haven't found it, help them determine what that plan is going to be. Uh, because that's how we're going to win this thing. You know, democracy is not a spectator sport. You've got to get in the arena. And we hope that all of our listeners will do just that. And on that note, we'll be doing our second Vets for Delgado canvas kicking off at 12 o'clock tomorrow in Kinderhook at 65 Broad Street. Um, We're looking forward to meeting veterans from around Columbia County uh, to help uh, turn out the vote for Tuesday. Um, I wanted to also note um, today as veterans in this great nation that we love, We need to take a moment to honor the memory of 11 lives lost at a pogrom in Pittsburgh at the Squirrel Hill Synagogue. Those killed, that's the minyan, that's the heart of the the Jewish community, those who keep the eternal flame burning when the rest of us um, are often too busy going about our lives to regularly observe the Sabbath and keep keep it holy. And I can't help but think about um, as a Jewish veteran myself, um, of the tenet of tikkun olam, which means repair the world. Yeah, in the midst of this unspeakable tragedy, yet another unspeakable tragedy, the community of Squirrel Hill has taught us, and has certainly taught me, how to cope, how to heal, and especially how to lead in times that try us. Uh, gun violence remains disgustingly a major problem in our country, uh, you and I can't continue to operate either as private citizens or as elected officials like acts of domestic terrorism can't or won't happen here in our communities, especially in upstate New York. We need gun reform. And if we want to change the way things are, we have to change the kind of people that we want in public office.
So as I said, we're broadcasting today from Niverville, um, which is part of the town of Kinderhook in the New York 19th Congressional District. And that's why we're honored today to be joined by our guest, a native of upstate New York, graduate of Colgate University, Harvard Law School, Rhodes Scholar, husband, father, and Democratic candidate for Congress in New York's 19th District, Antonio Delgado. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. It is a real pleasure to be here. Very excited. So, Antonio, one of our favorite things to do on this podcast is to eat or drink uh, food and beverage from local upstate New York businesses. So what's one of your favorite upstate New York food or drinks? Well, I have to give a shout out to uh, the Ship to Shore uh, in uh, downtown Kingston. It's where I proposed to my wife um, and it has delicious food. And listen, my my mother-in-law owns a liquor store. Uh, in Saugerties. So uh, I get some good deals there too. Uh, I like to frequent that establishment. So those are my two spots that that come to mind uh, as we speak. All right. Yeah. Can you talk to us, Antonio, a little bit uh, more on Two Vets Upstate about just your plan for veterans as New York's New York 19th's next member of Congress? Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that as I've run for Congress, I've noticed um, is the trend towards privatization in every area of government. Um, and by government, I mean those areas where government is meant to promote the general welfare, whether it's education, um, whether it's healthcare, and as you've uh, just talked about there, uh, how we treat our veterans when they come home, um, particularly through the VA. And what I've seen is an effort um, by actors to treat this as an opportunity for profiteering, um, rather than uh, a mechanism through which we give our veterans everything they need, not just when they're in active duty, but when they come back home. Uh, and we've got to make sure, particularly in the more rural parts um, of the country, and certainly in upstate New York, where we do have so many rural parts, um, that we do not let the profit motive or the privatization component come into play, because it's only going to disproportionately affect the more rural parts of our country in upstate, because the cost of investment from a profit mindset um, is a detriment or a deterrent, I should say. Uh, so it's important that we actually make sure the funding is there, that the access points and the cost of access uh, for our veterans um, isn't uh, doesn't outweigh seeking that care. It's also important that we realize what the kind of care does for veterans, integrated care. You know, it's, it's mental, it's physical, uh, and so it's important that we keep that in the arena of the VA. Um, I also think that once uh, separate and apart from the health components, we, we focus on employment and transitional opportunities, make sure that programs that we have in the Small Business Administration and the Labor Department that are meant to help uh, advocate for employment for our veterans are properly funded uh, and properly um, amplified so folks know where to find them. Uh, and I also think it's important uh, that from an educational standpoint, um, that we continue to make sure that our veterans can come home and seek higher education uh, to empower themselves. I know there was a bill that um, uh, was recently not passed in the House to extend uh, the GI benefits um, only because, rightfully so, the, the expectation was that veterans had to advance uh, the money, which is um, insane. And we should also make sure that the schools that are profiting, the for-profit schools, um, aren't allowed to raid uh, those benefits. So a lot of work that needs to be done, but, but at the end of the day, it's about making sure that we prioritize uh, the care and the access uh, to care for all of our veterans across New York 19 and across the country for that matter. 
So how do you see some of these issues that face veterans as being microcosms of concerns that face um, all Americans and all residents in, in this district? Well, I mean, as I alluded to, I think we have, as a system of democracy, shifted away from uh, promoting the general welfare and have enabled private greed. Our system um, is always looking to let the market completely dictate the terms of how we come together as a society. And while there's certain benefits to a free market, a lot of benefits, um, it, it cannot be the only driver for ordering society. Uh, there is a role for government to play. Uh, and you take, for example, just healthcare, just as, as, as a general matter, the fact that we have a for-profit system that more or less millions and millions and millions of people in this country who don't qualify uh, for Medicaid or Medicare or, or veterans or VA, if they, if they don't qualify for that, they are essentially beholden to the current private market insurance place, uh, which is entirely based on the profit motive, which is why we have a broken healthcare system with skyrocketing premiums and deductibles. It's also why Medicare can't negotiate with Big Pharma when it ought to be. Uh, so that's why I've been championing a public option open up Medicare, allow folks to opt in, create a public floor. This will bring down premiums, it will bring down deductibles, and make healthcare more affordable for everyone. It will not will stop being the only developed country in the world without some universal form of healthcare. It's a travesty that we're the only developed country in the world that is like that right now. So that's what I've been thinking through in terms of the healthcare piece. In the same vein, education. Right, the fact that we have the rise of charter schools and voucher programs, we should be putting more and more of our funding in public school education, universal pre-K, vocational schools, trade schools, apprenticeship programs. This is what we have to be doing to make sure that our young people are empowered as they come of age in this country. So, um, as we talked about at uh, the Veterans Advisory Committee breakfast. Um, Women veterans are the fastest growing population of veterans. They're also the fastest growing homeless population overall in this country. Yes. As a member of Congress, what will you do to support women veterans and other marginalized populations of veterans? No, that is a great question. And it's it's a microcosm, right? It's it's of, of the larger inequities, gender inequities in our society. It's you know, it's just, it's an example where even within certain sub areas, you know, um, we're seeing inequities or disproportionate impacts on women. Um, here's the thing. If, you, uh, if, if you're a woman and you're trying to access clinics and, and make sure you have somebody there to, take, to look after you, particularly in this district, you can't find anybody, right? There's, there's nobody there that can give you the care that meets your needs as a woman. Um, and that is uh, not acceptable. Uh, and there is, I think, some leg- I know there's some legislation, the Deborah Sampson Act, um, which I think could go a long way uh, to one requiring that there are physicians in the clinics um, uh, that are there for women um, and also make sure that we deal with the disproportionate impact um, that we're seeing on women. As you know, I think women are, what, 250 times uh, or committing suicide, women veterans, mm-hmm. 250% more than women who are not veterans right now. That's the fastest growing homeless population um, you know, and so we have to figure out legislatively how to make sure that we course correct uh, uh, that dynamic. And I do think the Deborah Sampson Act uh, can go a long way uh, towards doing that. You know, the homeless, uh, in the same vein, you know, we have a lot of veterans across gender um, that are struggling. I know that the Department of Labor has a, a reintegration program uh, for our homeless vets. We need to be really making sure that we shed a light on these programs. We put resources behind them uh, and make sure that our veterans are aware of them. Uh, and, and are not uh, stigmatized uh, 
uh, in a way that should never happen in the first place. Antonio, one of your themes on the trail has been about bringing back economic opportunities upstate. How do you think we bring back young people and veterans, especially as entrepreneurs, to our regions? Well, I think a big part of it is infrastructure and making sure that we invest in, in rebuilding you know, our communities, uh, whether it's crumbling roads or bridges or the lack of broadband access or quality cell service. Um, it's hard to imagine how you generate economic growth when you don't have the tools to access markets, both in your immediate surroundings or in the case of New York City, where you have literally over a billion dollars of unmet demand uh, for local organically grown food that we can't tap into because we don't have the infrastructure regionally to do that. Um, so to me, the gateway to opportunity is investing in our infrastructure. Uh, and that not only will literally create jobs in terms of remaking our uh, our roads and our bridges and laying the broadband and the cell service, that literally will create work, but it will also have a multiplier effect of attracting uh, businesses to come here and to keep young people here. You know, I grew up in the upstate. Uh, my wife did as well. You know, back when we were growing up, the GEs and the IBMs, they had a major presence here and they anchored families for decades. And when they left, nothing came behind. And so what you what you now hear from so many families is, how do we keep our families here? How do we allow, how do we get young people to stay home or to come back home and to raise their children and keep building for generations to come? Uh, and I want to do that work. I think if we build on around infrastructure, if we invest in renewable energy, um, I think that's another area. And if we invest in workforce development programs uh, that allow folks to get into the high-tech manufacturing space, we have jobs that right now can't be filled because we're not putting the resources that we need to put in to make sure that folks are properly trained for these jobs. So this year, someone born after 9-11 mm-hmm. could join the U.S. military and fight in the same war that started when I was a freshman in high school. Mm-hmm. This war is being fought under the authorized use of military force from 2001, and wars continue to be fought under that same AUMF. What do you think about the forever wars, and how can we Think about, you know, I've said on this podcast before, the DOD forgets that it makes veterans. Yeah. How do you think about bringing our, our American troops home? Well, we got to bring them home. We, we, the, the authorization for, um, uh, for use of war, for, for military use, that needs to be reined in. We need to revisit that whole conversation uh, because that's, that, that has become a, um, a, a, a mechanism uh, through which uh, the executive branch has been able to wield um, uh, unchecked power and, and put our um, men and women in harm's way uh, and without the proper checks and balances that our founding fathers envisioned. Uh, and the War Powers Act right, is meant to uh, uh, remind us uh, of those checks and balances. Um, and we have drifted a, a, a long, long way away from what was intended when it comes to uh, uh, engagement in, in conflicts. Um, and so I'm a big proponent of legislatively making sure that we clear this up and, and, and restore the authority um, uh, uh, back to Congress uh, when it comes to engagement and conflict, because uh, it's, it's getting beyond the pale and what's acceptable right now. And it's only feeding uh, into itself. I think as a general matter, where I, what I don't like about the trends that I'm seeing is that we're putting so much emphasis on militarism uh, and extending ourselves 
um, with militarism as opposed to diplomacy. We spend so little uh, in the State Department uh, with an effort towards uh, engagement through diplomacy. You know, but the fact that the matter is what makes this country incredibly uh, powerful and strong is not the, the might uh, or the power um, you know, of our military, which obviously is important, but more important is understanding that we, uh, what we are defending and the values that, you know, our men and women are willing to sacrifice their lives for at home and all across this world. And that is our democratic principles. Uh, you know, the fact that so many folks look to this country, uh, a, a nation of laws where, where no one is above the law, uh, free press, free speech, these things are critical to any well-functioning democracy, and we have to make sure that we lead by example with those values. And that, to me, is our greatest strength in how we can lead morally uh, throughout the world. And from that vantage point, when we just start sending our men and women off in a harm's way, um, not grounded in these in these core values, um, you know, that is that is not a good thing. Not a good thing. So we're sitting here in Niverville, which is in the town of uh, Kinderhook, um, and the village of Kinderhook is nearby. And back in 2016, um, we got a new uh, na- new location uh, added to the National Register of Historic Places, and that was um, a black cemetery um, where there are at least over 500 citizens who lived here in the 1800s. Um, and yet, despite this history, you were poised to become the first black member of Congress from upstate New York. I think that's amazing. I can't believe that's still a thing in 2018. Um, And so can you talk about what it means to be a role model for our community? Why is it important, especially in this environment, to have positive role models? I think, um, you know, what I've learned through this process, it's it's certainly not lost to me that I would be the first African-American to serve uh, this congressional district. Um, But what I've found through this process is whether you're white, whether you're black, you know, man or woman, um, you know, gay, straight, it, it, it doesn't matter if the representation um, is genuine and it is authentic and it is one grounded in love and one that is grounded in a real profound sense of uh, compassion and wanting to really help people. Um, I've tried my best to lead in that respect. And I think what has moved me so much throughout this process, and I, and I see it in young people's eyes. I think kids get it. I think kids know it. Um, when you put that love out there, when you put that goodness out there, um, that is the model. I think children see that and they're drawn to that. It's, they're not cynics. They're not cynical yet, you know? And so they're not skeptics yet. They're not pessimistic. Um, and I see it when I go out you know, I do meet and greets or if I do a canvas launch or I can't tell you how many young kids, you know, from six, seven years old up to 12, 13 years old, I can see in their eyes that they see something in me that is inspiring to them. And it's, it's, I think it's about feeling hopeful and feeling um, that we can be good to each other, um, that it's a safe space. And, and I think that it is, it's a secure space and a warm space. And I think that's the kind of example that I want to set because we are living in a time right now where there's so little of that. It, it feels like we're just being um, trampled with ugliness and with cruelty and with divisiveness uh, and a coldness that, you know, isn't America. It isn't what the country I know. And I know we have, we have an absence of leaders um, who seem willing to really counter that. Um, with the moral weight that it needs to be countered with. And so for me, um, 
that's kind of how I have viewed my path and ultimately wanted to serve this community with every fiber in my being uh, and restore that hope, that sense of what's possible here for the future for everybody, for everybody, no matter where you start, um, just giving everybody a chance and, and to feel like this place belongs to everybody here. We've recently lost a member of the veterans community and a, a famous congressman in uh, John McCain. And within our own community, uh, we see a lot of people who are, who are rooted in good values like John McCain. And then we also have veteran representatives in Congress who um, are led astray maybe by a lack of having values that center them uh, once they get to Congress. What are, this, what are the values? You talked about some of them, but what are the values that center you? And what are the values that, that you're running on and that you hope to, at a, at a basic core level, bring uh, bring to the U.S. Congress. So, I always think back to my childhood, and I look at my parents, and my mother taught me a lot about love. She actively spoke about love, and I think it really helped me. I think so. The when I, I, I don't know if love is a value, but love is everything. And to me, it starts and ends with making sure that we remind ourselves that we have to lean into. Um, uh, the fact that we're all the same, that we all come from the same place. And so top of mind for me is always um, just loving people and understanding that um, that I'm here and that I, and that I understand and that I, and I, and I understand that the pain and the struggle and I want to help. Um, my dad uh, talked a lot about character. Uh, he always, that was his favorite word growing up in my household, character, say what you mean, mean what you say. Um, and I think, that is so critical right now and what we need right now. We, I think people are rightfully so disillusioned by a lot of politicians because they sometimes feel like they don't ever get to hear what the individual really means or the person that they're speaking to never really says what they think, um, that they're spinning or they're being vague or they're not actually just being straight with them. And it's important that in this climate, we get individuals who talk straight uh, and who are honest and who are genuine. And even if we're not going to agree on every single issue, you know that with me, um, I'm going to always be upfront with you and be honest and not hide the ball. Um, I owe you that as your representative. And we have set a low bar right now. We have a very low bar for too many politicians who don't act that way and don't comport themselves that way. So it's love, it's character, it's honesty, it's decency. Uh, it's empathy, it's compassion, you know, it's work ethic. You know, that's, the other thing too is sometimes when you talk about the most vulnerable or helping out the least amongst us, you know, there's ways sometimes where that gets uh, viewed as, oh, you just want to hand things out to everybody. And it's not a handout. It's, it's about providing hand ups. It's about making sure there are paths for people to pursue on their own accord. So work ethic, responsibility, discipline, these are things that I certainly was reared on in my household too. And they all go hand in hand. You know, I can put a path in front of you, but you also have to have the work ethic and the discipline um, and the self-control uh, to pursue that end. Uh, and those are just as important to me as well. So it's a combination of all those things uh, that I want to stress. And I think if we can find the right balance in our government, it could do a lot of good for a lot of people. Well, so we've, we're going to wrap this up. So I've got two more questions for you. Um, one is, uh, what else would you like to share with our listen, listeners? And two, you need, to help, need your help settling a, an ongoing debate that Roger and I have about who makes the best ice cream in upstate New York, hmm. Stewart's or Burn Dairy? Wow. 
Well, let me first. I'm gonna go Stewart's. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I get that. Uh, <laughs> um, what you can take away is to vote. Um, I know, as we talked about earlier, this is it. You know, there's uh, not many moments of accountability to this degree. Um, there's a lot on the line here, and the stakes are very high. Uh, and I think it's important that people own their they're right. And it's a right that people have sacrificed their lives for, for good reason. Um, you know, this is the only way a democracy can work is if it's individuals uh, engage and stay civically engaged uh, and exercise their rights, chief among them, to vote. Uh, so what I would like you to think about uh, out there, listeners, um, is how much uh, uh, you're willing to, to do um, to give your future, your children's future, a chance. Um, and I think uh, with that, understand that you have the power in your hands. Uh, come November 6th, you can vote. Uh, and there's no more critical time uh, to do so. So, And I hope, I hope um, that no matter um, what, you vote. Um, and ideally, you would support me. Um, but either way, I just want you to vote. I think it's very important uh, that we get back to doing that work. Uh, and I think... Um, We'll be well on our way if we all engage to the degree we ought to be engaging uh, as Americans. But I, I really appreciate the time, and uh, I'm excited about these next couple of days, um, and we'll keep going. Well, thank you, Antonio. And as hopefully the future congressman from uh, the New York 19th said, go vote this Tuesday, November 6th. Thank you, everybody. Thank you guys for having me.